0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A full of Recovery. Just as usual, we will be going through symptoms of illnesses and mental health. So if you find any of those topics challenging, this episode may not be for you. So today I have Sarah on the show. Now Sarah and I briefly worked together maybe like eight, nine years ago. I can't remember how long it's been. <laughs> but makes I, thought be be old. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd... Um, invite her onto the podcast. So if you'd like to introduce yourself please Sarah.
1: Yeah so yeah we worked together a while ago now I think it's in an agency (laughs) I can't even remember which one but that feels like for me almost like it was a previous life at the moment I work for the technically I'm a well I'm a PhD student so technically I work for myself really and but my PhD is through the University of Nottingham Mm. and then I'm based in Leeds still, and I do a lot of creative work with students on different creative courses at local colleges as well. Bits of sort of freelance creative and design work. So it's a very jumbled mix, but it's all sort of wrapped up in a bubble where the intersection of creativity and mental health and education meet.
0: I think it's quite common for creatives to like bounce around and do like various different things because you just can't seem to stick to just that like one thing so yeah it's not <laughs> yeah. Like, to be like I do this I do this I do that
1: yes definitely and I think just as my life has sort of panned out it's worked better for me as well I think mentally and just in everyday life I like having the variety and also allows me to take breaks at different points and have those periods of downtime because it can be quite intense as well just mentally just thinking about these topics all the time really (laughs) kind of my day-to-day but I don't you know I do it's a weird thing to say you enjoy but I really enjoy it so it can also be quite a positive thing for me to be doing.
0: You talk about mental health quite a lot and you work in the industry as well can you just talk a bit about how you got into that?
1: I guess over sort of my career, probably, oh gosh, so many moons ago when I met you, I worked in more agency-facing roles and things that were more, I feel like they were less about people and more about a product or selling something. And I think over time, I just started to fall out of love with that sort of world of, I guess, sales and marketing and go, go, go. And I started to want to transition into roles that were more related to charity and working with people and how I could sort of use the skills i would got from agency and like design and making websites and all of those sorts of techie things but with actual people and seeing more of a direct connection than say I don't know making a banner for a supermarket which you know is, has its place but I just felt like I got to a point in my life where I felt like it wasn't giving me as much value um, which sort of led me down this path of getting more seriously into design and creativity, doing my master's and then turning that into my PhD.
0: And and what is your PhD exactly about?
1: So I am looking at black undergraduate students at the moment and I'm looking at their sort of mental health experiences, but from a more sort of general, I guess, rounded perspective that students aren't separate from their environment or their experiences, you know, they're not these sort of weird separate beings that I feel like sometimes we're like and students as though they're not also people that have experiences and have many different types and go into education for all sorts of reasons so trying to sort of represent those experiences in different ways and different using different creative formats to reach people because I feel like we're sort of um, almost over-proliferated with information at some points but it doesn't always connect with people on an empathetic and emotional level. So a lot of my research is about reaching people in a more empathetic and emotional sort of level and speaking to them as people and allowing them to express themselves creatively. So hopefully
0: that sums me up a bit in my research. What inspired you to take that on as a PhD?
1: I think in my master's, when I did a a very small project on a similar thing, it kind of allowed me to focus on students and sort of getting a glimpse into their experiences and trying to represent that. But as I was doing that, even though I was just sort of generally asking students with these sort of probing questions about what it was like and making these sorts of graphics, I realised that a running theme through everything I was getting, it was always related to mental health in some way. Although there was mm-hmm. some, something I was picking up on that just felt like it was kind of lost if I didn't carry on further. So when I went back into work, it just felt not the same. Almost like I was missing like a really like I'd, I'd left behind something that needed more investigation which sort of led me down thinking about further research and different research projects and how I could maybe progress that idea idea into something that's bigger. And I guess, I I don't know if it's luck, but I stumbled across a PhD opportunity with Nottingham and my supervisors really interested in mental health and humanities and that crossover, you know, and getting clinical partners to work with people in creative fields. And they worked on this great project with Admin Studios of Wallace and Gromit fame, really cool animations with young people. It's all about co-design. And it just really spoke to me, just, you know, really getting people involved in the creation of something that's going to be a useful resource for them while simply just using it as a way to retell stories in a way that sort of, um, I don't know, gets to people on a different level than say attaching a PDF to an email with some stats and a few paragraphs.
0: (laughs) Which happens quite a lot. Like in terms of, Mental health, like, how has that been perceived? Because coming from a South Asian background, speaking about mental health, it's sh- we don't do that. <laughs> that. That doesn't exist. What you're about, it's almost it's stigmatized and shamed. Like, how have you sort of perceived it, and how people perceived it when you speak about it? It has been
1: one of the trickier things is getting people actually engaged in the first place. I find it really hard to find participants and I really struggle to get people involved because there is a reluctance and I think a lot of that's valid because it is sort of, I guess, even from my perspective, I get asked to do studies quite often and I'm like, "Mm." I don't know, there's something about me that wants to hold back because I don't trust necessarily the organisation or their intentions or they'll go anywhere or do anything or I'm Mm. not sort of just being made to rehash my trauma for no reason. So I could completely understand it. But I do think because of the way things have gone, especially online and on social media, things have made it a little bit easier with certain people that have started to allow different ideas and things and felt more comfortable to come forward. So there were some people that were more invested and there are sort of those spokespeople that I think encourage their friends around them to sort of speak more about these topics. But it's very much a case by case situation. It's, it's tricky.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting what it's about, not trusting the organisation, because a couple of years ago, I called out a few organisations and they were like, mm. what are you on about? What racism? What inequality? it's fine and then I got asked to speak at one of their events about racism and I was like why did you pick me and they were like they were like diagnosing me with something and I was like oh. are, you okay? are you actually okay and they sent me like an inequality report and I was like the thing that I raised years ago you're now trying to educate me on and I was mm. like there's no way in hell my name is going next to your organization to sort of help tick a box And I feel like that happens quite a lot still.
1: Yeah, it's like I sort of touch on the idea when I was researching and I think it was termed by someone um, like cultural competency and this idea of, you know, almost making people that are in any marginalised group of any kind, a spokesperson, whether they like it or not. And even though I talk about these things, it doesn't mean that I always want to or that I always want to talk about it from my perspective. I might just be informing people, but I think people just assume that I'm just gonna start talking about that and or that they can tell me about my experience and I'll just sort of agree with them, which can be very frustrating. So I understand why people are sort of less reluctant to engage when people are asking them prying questions about these sorts of topics.
0: Yeah, completely makes sense. Like it's, it's like you want to raise awareness, you want to make a difference, but not to the point where it just benefits the people who are already benefiting from the system and then Mm. they'll get an intern and post a photograph and go look we're making changes it's like well who's on the board (laughs) what are you actually doing yeah
1: yeah like I think that's something that I've always been really cautious of that things aren't just performative and I think that in itself has such a negative impact on people when it feels like you know you might be say a disabled student you might be a black student it might be a religious uh, background that you have it could be anything that that sort of thing that means so much to you and will have value certain values and it'll have may have positives it might have negatives whatever it has it means something to you that they sort of take that and commercialize it and make it something that I don't know it 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 loses almost the meaning and I think that experience in itself is very isolating and kind of can make people less likely to want to share experiences or get engaged with these sorts of things or even tell their friends because it just kind of gives you this feeling that nobody really cares it's not real they're not really that interested in what's going on in my life
0: yeah I feel like when I first got sick the reason why I just couldn't tell anyone was the shame I felt and I was shamed for it and by people around me by specialists people who aren't the most competent in like medical school whatever it is they yeah. just were like no you're fine you look healthy so go home and be happy and here's a link to a website figure it out on your own and I was like no but I don't I don't understand why I'm dropping on the floor and they were like you're making yourself do it and it was just like everyone around me was like we'll stop making it up then and I was like I'm really <laughs> not making this up having been so healthy to then being unhealthy I learned mm. a lot about the health care system and the things that like they came out with like oh you're not married so you You know, you must be really sensitive and that's why you're getting ill. And I was like, what? (laughs) You wouldn't say that to a white person. So Mm -hmm. like, why are you saying this now? And it is isolating because everyone tries to fix you.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that sort of I think that's something that most people can identify with where you know somebody has an issue and you kind of think oh god what do I need to do which isn't always the best way to solve it but I think particularly from that sort of professional medical standpoint it's really upsetting when it feels like I don't know they can't see you as an individual at all (laughs) outside of the sort of predetermined ideas that they have and I think that really plays out just across the board because again it's that whole thing that students aren't separate from the community so you take those same values and things that are, are important to you or shape your life and experience into that same situation so i find it kind of strange when they almost exact act as though these problems just randomly appear at university but i do think people are getting better at connecting it to this whole experience that you may have before you got to university have gone through loads of medical testing and referrals and been bounced around every corner of the NHS and just not want to engage anymore so it might be quite difficult to get that person to you know re-engage with people and I think part of that is having the right training and having the right amount of people available to even go to and having diversity in the people that you can go to so that you're not only you know, offloading on one person or only getting one sort of perspective on all of these sort of issues.
0: Yeah, 100%. Do you think there's been a shift on mental health since the pandemic, since we went into lockdown?
1: Definitely. I think since we went into lockdown, people, I guess it forced you to have more time to reflect whether you wanted to or not, because you have to be at home. And even if that meant that you're maybe in a busier household, you may notice more how things in the house may have had an impact on you or relationships, kids, responsibilities, you know, all the usual things as well as maybe some people, it might have been work-related and I know even though for some people working from home, like for me it's great, but I know it can also mean that you might do more than you should do and Mm. end up getting more burnt out. So I think people just really started to become more aware in the like global population to be honest how much these sorts of things impact you because if you catch COVID on top of that you're really not going to feel good are you like you know it sort of runs you down almost in the same sort of way when you have all of these things weighing on you so and then I think with social media being the easiest way for everybody to communicate and everybody being able to communicate pretty much you know anybody that could access the internet used it as their main way to talk to people that people just happened to stumble across more content and people were making more content that was better quality and better research so I think it was sort of just you know in the air really that it has been I guess helpful to people in the mental health world that it's more on people's minds but that sort of stigma hasn't completely gone yet you know it's not vanished but it's definitely been a help. Full thing in a way to get people talking about their mental health more
0: yeah and do you think there's any negatives around social media and mental health whether it be what we consume and what people create
1: oh definitely I think the sort of two things that really jump out at me I'd say on the one hand thinking around the Black Lives Matter movement and that being you know a really positive thing but in that same sort of breath I've had students in my own study and research sort of talk about you can be looking at something like that and after, and getting maybe some sort of positive message from somebody talking about support and community and then just see awful comments underneath and that can be really soul destroying if you're seeing that every mm. single day or people sharing videos of traumatic incidents without really thinking about what they're sharing and how that might affect somebody that you know you're just scrolling through Facebook because it's the only outlet you have at the moment or you're looking at Twitter or TikTok or whatever you're on and the first thing you see is some sort of awful violence against somebody that looks just like you Mm. it's hard to not put yourself in that situation so that can be quite traumatic and you know potentially getting into arguments with people and or further isolating yourself because you might take in some of that hatred so it can be quite toxic so it's difficult to balance out with the positivity really but I think it's just something that people have to be aware of you know that not everybody's nice online and trying to teach people and understand how to avoid people I think is the best way to do it if they are targeting you because it's quite difficult a lot of the time to engage in healthy
0: conversations yeah and then I
1: guess the other side of that a flip-flop now would be sort of medical information that on the one hand I'm like so grateful that it is easy for people because I think it's important that not everybody needs counselling or therapy straight away I think that's almost become a bit of a sort of meme you know go to therapy but not everybody necessarily needs that they might just need some information or understanding and they might get that from an Instagram post that actually really helps them because whatever they're experiencing might not be that it might not be as intense as somebody that maybe needs to go to their GP and get further support So that's like a great thing or it might start that conversation. On the other hand, there's also the misinformation and sort of confusing information around certain disorders that I think might cause people to either misdiagnose or question their own diagnosis. And that makes me worry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I've been in Facebook groups where they were useful at the start because I was having a pity party and everyone joined in. And they're good when you need validation that I went to my GP and they said this and everyone's going, yeah, we've had this too. But go to PALS or write a letter to so-and-so or say this to your MP. Like There's all these things that I didn't know you could do. And I feel like you get that from people who have like a similar diagnosis to you because they'll be like, we've been on this journey. But then it can get a bit toxic. Like someone said to me, oh, well, why are you getting better? I've had this for 20 years. You can't get better. Well, was it that bad? And then it just becomes really toxic, and you're like, Hang on, we're supposed to be on the same page. <laughs> Why are you like doing this? Yeah, it's
1: difficult because it's like, on the one hand, that sort of support network online can genuinely be life changing for some people, especially if you are struggling to get out and about and maybe do the things that you're used to doing and you really miss having those sort of social connections. And it is so important that you have those people, but you know maybe there's no one around you that really gets it and that really makes you feel a lot better but I guess that's sort of what I was touching on that it's like knowing when to engage what, what your boundaries are what's healthy for you and sort of I guess it could be difficult because there's not always a, a moderator or somebody watching over everything but I think it's not just necessarily I know I deal mainly with younger people sort of I guess 18 to 23-ish but I think for adults as well, it's so easy to get sucked into conversations online, especially if you don't have much else to do that day or you get distracted and you get sort of hooked into it. And that can be quite dangerous. But I think that's something that everyone has to learn how mm. to sort of understand and manage better, because I think we can all be guilty of that in all sorts of ways online.
0: Yeah, I've definitely had my fair share of bottles with people online. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going anywhere like I've educated you as much as I can and that's it like there's no point in losing sleep over this anymore because I just think we we try and fight this battle sometimes and it's like as someone who lacks energy I have to pick and choose my battles and it's like there's no point trying to like overstep them
1: yeah you can only share so much information sometimes people just aren't willing to receive it at that time I guess you know, you can go back later and maybe hope for the best. But sometimes I think particularly online, you just have to let some things go, which I think, again, it can be quite a frustrating experience, which is why having the positives and the groups that do work for you, I would never discourage somebody from using them. You know, like I'm in online communities. that so I think like some days where there's not been anyone else around to chat to, especially in the sort of height of lockdown that was really helpful to just not necessarily chat about what was bad but just chat about anything in particular because everybody I think needs that sort of connection to feel better in themselves.
0: And what do you think needs to be done to raise awareness around mental health?
1: I think it's difficult, I think there's a lot <laughs> I think we've got a lot of work to do I mean I feel like in lots of various ways at different levels of society and different organizations people are trying to tackle issues across the board and things that maybe wouldn't have been talked about before like say 10 years ago like chronic illnesses and neurodivergence are becoming sort of more you know like uh, widely discussed in a in a way where people can get information and support but At the same time, there is still so much stigma and self-stigma and fear, um, particularly in racialized communities, fear of being sort of whisked away if you say the wrong thing. But I think the healthcare organisations have a lot of work to do themselves, being empathetic in their approach to people and listening to people, which, you know, it's easy to say that you are listening, but I think to actively listen with that sort of understanding that it's a weird thing to say understanding that you don't understand them and you don't know their experience because I think that can be what's off-putting to a lot of people and I think the root of that of course it's funding and finances and training and the stress of the workers themselves you know sometimes they could be having a bad day but where do they go (laughs) so it's like you know I think all around the whole system doesn't have enough of everything it needs (laughs) so I've only recently been sort of on a journey of figuring out why I'm so sleepy all the time or why I don't sleep (laughs) so it's been kind of a difficult thing to have thrown in my PhD but I guess the sort of curse of the PhD really I think it happens to everybody some sort of major life event <laughs> midway through I don't think you can get through without it and that's only very recently led me to sort of learning more about ME and CFS and what that would mean for me because it's again it's so different from one person to the other that what I experienced has been very different from other things that I've maybe seen online or mm-hmm. listened to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, something that, cause it's so new to me as well, I guess, I've not approached it that much within sort of, I guess the university or anything like that. But I guess if I think about it, if I feel like if maybe it was five years ago, I would be more worried because I feel like there was a lot less support even, you know, then. Yeah. I think now, you know, it might not be perfect, but there's definitely a lot more information and resources than I thought they would be, to be honest. I was very yeah. sceptical.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I've, I mean, I'm part of the chronic fatigue clinic and they have been helpful because I have ME and CFS. FND, not too much, but mm. after two and a half years, I got onto a waiting list and managed to get some treatment for my brain. And fibromyalgia, they just say it's non-existent but mm. I do feel like you you do start to listen to your body a lot more and I've read so many books where I've just thought oh I get why this is happening then if I actually listen to my body there's certain symptoms that tell me things and certain triggers that yeah definitely just ignored and said panicking <laughs> Shayla stop it
1: it's difficult though when you don't you don't know you don't know really and I think that's like a big part of everything really it's education and I think that doesn't necessarily mean going to school or doing a degree to learn about it that could be education from somebody else's experience mm. or a you know a one-on-one experience with a medical professional because I think a lot of the time we're just not aware Um, like I was talking to somebody recently about how common it is especially in student accommodation and in halls and things like that for panic attacks to be reported and them to have no idea what is happening to them and panic attacks are terrifying if you have no idea what's happening to you yeah and also you know it strains on other services and things like that but I think it is because people don't understand and don't have that sort of you know they don't know what to look for so what else would you think other than oh my god I think I'm going to die or something really you know dramatic in the moment to somebody else but in your body that's what you feel but (laughs) yeah I think education in whatever form it is about mental health is really I guess what's sort of been starting to happen over the past few years is people sharing and trying to learn more about their own minds and bodies
0: have there been any sort of silver linings from all the work that you've been doing around mental health where you think oh wow if I wasn't doing this I would never have learned about something or thought a certain way
1: um, I definitely think I wouldn't have probably investigated my own health so seriously, because I think it did sort of give me an extra bit of knowledge that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't have been doing this, because it's the sort of thing where it's easy to just keep going and just keep, just keep pushing through because you'd like, well... I can't figure this out myself I don't know what's going on everyone else is fine why am I complaining so much I just need to get this done yeah. and then all of a sudden you burn out for three weeks and you have no idea why but like it's hard to connect those dots when you're going through it in the moment if you don't have any knowledge of that so I do think that that can be quite you know even though I've definitely done that in multiple times <laughs> but you know at least I I guess I have a bit more self-awareness of it but and I also was a bit more comfortable to approach the topic with Mm. my GP than I think I would have been if I hadn't been around these sorts of people Mm. and I think it's helpful just to hear you know I was sitting on different talks all the time on all sorts of things because I'm just curious to hear about different things that going on you know I'm not a medical professional um but I do think it's important that it's sort of you know mental health is something that everybody has and being treated or working on it might not necessarily mean that you have to go to a professional you might just be exploring all these different things and learning about yourselves and pick up little things along the way that you sort of hold on for later and think oh maybe I need to talk to somebody or think about how this is going for me
0: definitely think like someone who was a workaholic and just been out mm. all the time. I just ignored it. I was like, work harder, work harder. I was just telling myself to work harder. And there is a common theme with people who have these chronic conditions that they are workaholics and they have this voice in their head mm. where it's never enough. So they keep going and then their body goes, yeah, stop, because you're not going to
1: listen. Yeah. I don't think that's sort of, I guess, in like racialized communities, this double whammy of this idea of you have to work twice as hard for half as much so you're already putting an extra level of pressure on yourself to always appear fine because you have this sort of internalized fear that if you're not that that's going to look bad not only on you but your community and what people might think of other people in your community so you might not think that in the moment but I think that's often sort of like in the back of people's minds as well so it's all about sort of saving face and just you know I've just got to do my work and get on with within I should be so grateful that I've got a job anyway so it's all going to be fine but you know we all have our moments where we just can't do it <laughs> and I think yeah. it's hard to accept that for a lot of I mean it's hard for me to accept when I can't do something I'm not saying that I can by any means <laughs> I'm very stubborn but I think it's like For a lot of people, it can be difficult to recognise, even on a smaller scale, if they're just, you know, having a particularly busy period at work and they're just feeling burnt out. It can be hard to accept sometimes that you just can't do it and that can be okay. You know, we don't always have to do everything and the world's sort of not always ending. Usually we can find strategies to deal with things. But, you know, if you don't know that, you don't know. So,
0: I remember someone saying to me, I can't believe you put your family through all that. I was like thanks for that that's Mm, really
1: kind. yeah it's the sort of thing I've heard people say um, around to people that have eating disorders or maybe have had some suicidal ideation that they will sort of put the blame on them which is just sort of pushing that person further away from reaching out for any support really because it's like oh I've done a terrible thing And sure, Mm. you may feel some guilt, you know, for certain things and you may want to apologise, but it's not that you've done something awfully wrong. You've Mm. not done, you know, you're not intentionally doing anything to harm your family. And I think a lot of the time people are seeing that they're sort of, I don't know, possibly projecting some of their own fears as well. Yeah. Sort of onto you.
0: So what do you hope to get out of like all the work that you're doing and the PhD, like what's next and what's like the impact you hope to make?
1: I guess for me, a lot of it's about advocacy within the education, because for me, education is something that's very important because it has that sort of transformative power. And I know as well that in a lot of immigrant communities in particular, it's sort of seen as this sort of almost like a golden ticket. So I know that those numbers as well are increasing so I just want to make sure that they're not going into an environment that's making things worse or making you feel worse or less likely to go for it afterwards because some of the statistics are really upsetting (laughs) and quite like you know just almost make you lose hope that these people are going to make it through and have the same experience that their peers are having and I think without sort of constantly talking about it and making sure that things like Black Lives Matter aren't just sort of hashtags and talking points that there is sort of some meaning or reason and some accountability from universities as well I think that's sort of you know where my heart is and I've been working on other sort of side projects that are connected around sort of combining my interests so I worked on a website uh, with a few partners, like the Mental Health Foundation um, and Erasmus and uh, Loughborough University. I've created like a digital storytelling toolkit for high school aged, um, it's aimed at high school aged kids, but with the idea of sort of, you know, focusing on them and their experiences and well-being, but in these sort of short stories and group discussions. And, you know, looking at different ideas like that I think where people like me come in is looking at mental health and saying yes we need clinical support but there's other support that also needs to be in place before people even get there or engage with the topic or even know what it is like how would they know to even go to ask for help if they've never heard of it before or ever talked about the topic so a lot of the things that I do about I guess creating opportunities for people to sort of express things in these um more visual outputs or written or audio and just sort of doing something different and uh not being afraid to work directly with the people that you want to talk about
0: yeah and just going back onto like Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. since that took place are there a lot of organizations that you look at and think yeah you're one of those who put the black box on Instagram mm. and did very little after it are there a lot of those
1: there definitely is um I think in commercial organizations it was quite obvious to be honest you know it's pretty much that you know there's jokes about it it sort of switches it's like oh we're doing black squares oh now it's black history month we're doing that oh wait it's Pride Month let's do that or oh, it's uh, ADHD Awareness Month so it's not like they don't really care like it's just like oh we're changing our profile picture to show you so you buy stuff so and I think that is I think people generally now are just turned off to it because it is dismissive almost in sort of I mean it is dismissive it's not really they're not really thinking about it and thinking about the people that might be receiving it and I think particularly in universities, quite a lot of other people have noted and different sort of organisations and student union groups that, yes, some of the support that was available in Black Lives Matter while it was sort of, you know, going through the sort of height of the campaign was great. But it very it very much has sort of felt like it's disappeared at this point now that the presence of that sort of discussion, just doesn't feel like a priority I think for a lot of people so that's why I still want to keep sort of working in this area being present because I feel like I don't want people to think it's something that was a one and done issue that we could sort of tick it off and be like all right we've done that we've dealt with that we don't need to talk about it anymore because again that's just sort of isolating people and it doesn't really make you feel like you belong anywhere if You know, you had the support, and then it sort of just pulled away from you because you know that's in terms of like funding, support groups, and things like that that just have disappeared since that sort of period. And it's like they, it people didn't suddenly stop needing the support overnight. So it's kind of like we still need to extend that. But I do understand that people find it difficult and uncomfortable to talk about, and may have to do a lot of work, you know, on themselves and thinking, you know, why they feel uncomfortable, but. I feel like universities, I'm just speaking, you know, from my research perspective, have responsibility to their mm-hmm. students, and because it's a growing population, and, you know, there's more sort of Black and Asian students going into university than ever, I feel like we should hold them accountable to the promises that they made around this period, you know, so yes. where is where is all of the stuff that you said? I want to see it kind of thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think it just, it's just infuriating when you, a, a lot of this stuff doesn't even come on the news, but you can, mm. there'll be like people in each community who pretty much advocate and they've got all the stats and they show like another black person has been shot mm. and it's like, it's happening like nearly every week and it doesn't make it to the news and people are like, yeah, but you know, whatever and mm. life stuff and you're just like, no, but this is happening to a particular community. We should all be angry and doing what we can and then people are just like, No, but like, you know, what do you want me to do? Or no. Yeah, It's almost like, "Mm, I don't want to. And it's just like, yeah, but you said you were going to. And if everyone did their part, surely we can make a difference
1: yeah and I think it's some of it that sort of reluctance it's it's some of it's a fear I don't think necessarily that all people have bad intentions but I do think people have to sort of take a pause to really investigate why they're so scared to approach those sorts of topics and really think which is difficult and might take a while but It's, you know, well, there's so many great books out there and resources now as well to help in that process. But I do think that's like a personal responsibility that people have. Yeah. Um, Especially if you were sort of quick to put stickers and flags in your house and then sort of just forgot all about it, you know, if you've got friends that saw that and were excited about it, I don't think people really think about how distressing it is when it feels like they just don't care anymore and how negatively that can affect your health overall
0: I had someone on TikTok saying well why is you know this racist or why is that racist and certain things about Meghan Markle and I was like I'm not going to even try and educate you I'm just going to give you the resources and you can buy these books I (laughs) "I can't I'm I'm, you know just buy books like if you want I
1: think that's the best thing you can do sometimes to be honest I think you know I've had that sort of thing where people have said to me on social media things like oh why can only black students do this research isn't that racist it doesn't really make sense when I'm asking about black students experiences <laughs> so you know <laughs> it'd be difficult to get that from anybody else but you know people just want to start an argument I think and or see you sort of and I think that in itself I think like as somebody that's like works in any sort of advocacy I think you have to remember sometimes to just protect yourself because you can't really do much for other people if you're taking it all on because it does get to some points you know I stopped using Twitter for quite a while because I just don't think this is healthy for me to say I don't need to see this it doesn't make me feel any better and people are not trying to engage in conversations about these topics they're just trying to wind you up because I don't know they maybe think it's funny or whatever but there are so many other places where I can have much healthier and much more you know insightful conversations with people that I don't need to be on every social media really
0: I think that is a good point that protecting yourself is a priority Mm and you know especially when it comes to like mental health or illnesses or anything around Mm -hmm. race you don't want to take that all on because then you're trying to pour from an empty cup and it it just ends up feeling like it's not worthless. It's like, why should I bother doing this if this is the response?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's so important that, you know, like people check in with themselves at regular points if they're in these sorts of fields and speaking to people that maybe have had traumatic incidents or have things that have, you know, had a really like detrimental effect on their mental health or their physical health, because you can't help but take, you know if you're an empathetic person of course you'll feel something about it you connect to that story and you think oh yeah I get that but yeah I think I guess that is sort of the other benefit of all of the information that is out there that there is a lot of useful resources from other people in the field on how to sort of look out for yourself and advocate for yourself as well but yeah like you said like you are just sort of emptying your cup otherwise definitely It's easy to do when you want to help everybody. Well,
0: Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been really interesting to talk about all the work that you're doing. And I'm sure it's going to make a huge impact as well.
1: Ah, Thanks. Lovely to be invited.